have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts this morning. And as you're turning, let me say uh, a big thank you uh, to all of you, and I think I can speak for Brother Trey as well, he's nodding, uh, to your love and appreciation for us. I don't know if you know this, uh, if, you, if you don't, maybe you haven't been listening for three years, but uh, I, we love you. Uh, we, we appreciate you, and you are a wonderful church to pastor, and so that we do not ever uh, regret the, anything. We, we love pastoring FBC Jonesboro, and so we're so thankful for you and your love, and so thank you this morning for your, for your gift. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, uh, we are week 5, I believe, of our core um, values discovering the building blocks of a healthy church. These are things that we as a church need to value. These are things that we as a church need to to wrestle with, uh, to, to hold on to, to not let go. These are characteristics that are so important. Uh, they are that we find them spoken very highly in Scripture and commanded of us that, that we believe as a church that it would be sinful and wrong of us to, to not hold on to these and be faithful in these areas. And so we want to be unwilling to move away from these things. And so these, are, these characteristics are, that we've seen so far, biblical fidelity, God-honoring worship, expositional preaching. Uh, last week, Brother Trey preached on determined discipleship, and this morning we're going to look at gospel witness, and then next week we'll look at church and community investment. And so if you'd like to know more about these, if you've missed these, you can go to our website and you can find them there on the website or on the church app. And so our fifth core value, I want you to see this morning, I want you to see the importance of this value, a gospel witness. That as Jesus is ascending into heaven, as he is preparing to ascend into heaven, he gives us one final word, one important task to carry out. And so while we await his return, this is the business that we as Christians, that we as a church are to be about. We are to be witnesses. Every Christian, every church member, all right, every person who joins a church, if you join a church, you're a Christian. And therefore, you carry with you the responsibility and the task of being a gospel witness. And I want us to look at what this is and how we can be effective at it this morning. So, so Acts chapter one, chapter one, verse eight is going to be pretty much the exposition of our whole of the sermon. But I want to get it in context. So, begin with me in verse one. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he, had, uh, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. And to these he also presented himself alive after suffering, by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for, the, uh, for what the Father had promised. Which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom, the, the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And here's where we are. But 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest, remotest parts of the earth. And may God bless this morning the reading and the preaching of his word. What is a gospel witness What is a gospel witness? Here we find in the book of Acts, you find the story of the church. This this is what I love about the book of Acts. This is is the beginning, this is the uh, the origin story of of what's happening right here. You you and I are here today, we we are gathering as a local body to give praise and honor to Christ, to proclaim Him as as the one and only King and the only Savior by which which people can be saved and their sins be forgiven. And so here we find in the book of Acts, we find our origin stories, right? Where a a small group of Jewish believers in Jerusalem uh, go, go from a small group to thousands and dozens of congregations across the Roman world. And the whole purpose of this book is to show the spread of Christianity across the globe. And so this is a monumental accomplishment that we find here. And it's ignited there in verse 8. This is where the fuse of evangelism is lit and it explodes across the world. These are the last known words of Christ in his earthly ministry. And so one could say that this is the moment that Christ is passing the baton to the Christian to the disciple, or better yet, we can say it this way, this is where Christ is passing the baton to the church. And so I would encourage you this morning to look at what he has passed on to you, to to, to see what Christ has given you as your work and as your task this morning. Notice what he says. He calls them his witnesses. Pay, Pay particular attention to that word. It is a word that is used 29 times throughout the book of Acts. And that much repetition should confirm to us this morning that this term carries out great importance. That this is a mandate given by God, given by Christ, the King of Kings. And this mandate is the very, at the very center of the church's purpose for its existence. It's at the very core of who we are as a congregation. And we must make much of that. And we must embrace that. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be a witness? What is Jesus referring to here as witnesses in, the, his, in this world? Well, the term witness is a word uh, in the Greek, uh, martyrs, or martyrs, meaning to tell or describe to someone what you have seen, what you have heard, and what you have experienced. In other words, you are telling other people what you know, all right? You are telling people, you're not telling them just stories that you, you know, that you think you know. You're not telling people just what happened in somebody else's life. You are telling people what you know. And as an oversharer, as someone who likes to tell stories, this is really good for me. To be able to share with someone what I know. Well, what do I know? Christ. In the uh, Edderman's Dictionary of the Bible, it says it is the one who helps establish the truthfulness of a matter by testifying firsthand about what was seen or heard. We get a beautiful illustration of this in in, uh, in the epistle of 1 John. In 1 John chapter 1, listen to what he says. I love how John writes it. He gives us the very details of, of what he has seen. 
In 1 John chapter 1, he says, beginning in verse 1, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Talking about Christ. And the life was manifested, and we have seen, and we testify, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Being a witness, beloved, is you testifying and is you telling what you know firsthand. And so the question is, is what do I know? I know Christ. That's what John is saying. I'm proclaiming to you what I know about Jesus and what I've seen and what I've heard. And even Jesus tells us this in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, listen to what he says. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And notice verse 48. You are witnesses to these things. So so when we talk about being a witness, that this is a a core value of the church, that this is a a mandate and a task given to every Christian and every church member, it is the work of testifying of what you know about the gospel firsthand experience. That if you claim to have repented of your sins and come to faith in Christ, then you are a witness to the saving work of Jesus and you are one to go and proclaim and tell others what you know. And he lays it out right there. That God sent his son to die for sinners. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are all sinners under the judgment of God. But God, out of great mercy and grace and love, sent his son, sent God who is in, the, God who is in, fle- in flesh, to live perfectly on this world, to, to be able to overcome all temptations and to never sin, to do what you and I could not do, to die on a cross, to rise three days later in victory and in power. And then you were to call them to fulfill the same response that you did, that they would repent and believe in Christ that's what Acts 1-8 is about. That, that's what being a witness is. We are all witnesses of the gospel of Christ and His saving work in our life. And so if the Holy Spirit resides in you, beloved, this is what you are to tell others. This is what you are to share. This is what you have been given, and we as a church. And thus it must be a core value For every member, not just the the leadership, not just the pastors, not just the deacon, not just the Sunday school teachers, but every person who claims Christ as their Savior. J.C. Ryle once said it this way, If you love Christ, never be ashamed to let others see it and know it. Speak for Him, witness for Him, and live for Him. I would tell you this morning there is a twofold application for that. 
So, Brother Brown, what does it mean to be, okay, so I get it, I'm a witness. If I am a believer this morning, I, I, I am to go and share the gospel. So what does that look like? Two things this morning. Number one, you are a personal witness. We are personal witnesses. In Acts chapter 8, we see Philip who's testifying to the Ethiopian. I love this. He's reading the scriptures. And, he, and then Philip walks up and goes, do you know what you're reading? I have no idea what I'm reading. He goes, mm, let me testify to that. I know the guy that that's talking about right there. I know that guy. You have in Acts chapter 10, you have Peter, who is a witness to the, to the Gentile Cornelius, who, who, who calls for Peter to come, and he's a Gentile. He's someone that Jews are not even to be around. And Peter goes in and he says, you want to know about Jesus? I want to know about Jesus. Then let me tell you. We, we have Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, who we have this jailer who's about to commit suicide with his sword. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, hey, don't do that. I got something to tell you. We're here. Listen to what we have to say. And, that, and so we see from, from chapter 1 all the way to the end of Acts, there is this, there's this effort, this intentional effort to be personal witnesses of Christ. This is the reason why we're doing the three circles. On Sunday nights, we have the three-circle training where you come and you gather with Brother Trey. I'm doing the young adult uh, Bible study on the gospel. And so they, they really kind of interlink with one another. But they both have with them the issue of learning or the, the, the purpose of learning the gospel. Learning about Christ. Learning what we are to tell other people. Because a lot of times in our personal witness, we want to tell everybody about us. And about what, you know, listen, that's good. You know, this is what I was doing. Jesus came in my life. This is what I'm not doing. That's good. But that's not what you have been called to testify about. You have been called to testify about the one who changed your life. And so we want to know the gospel. And so there in the three circles, you have been asked to do your reps. Are you tired of Trey telling you to do your reps? Some, some maybe so. Do your reps. Why? Why do we say this? The point is not that three circles is the best evangelism technique. The, the, the point is not just so that you've got to just, you know, that you just got this robotic technique that you can't break away from. No, the point is, is that at the end of the day, you are comfortable with telling someone the story of salvation. That you know that we are a people who, are, who God created in His image. That you know that sin entered the world and we are a broken people. And that the answer is Christ who died and rose from the grave. You, this is about you knowing the content that you can share. And be comfortable in whatever situation that you may find yourself. Or if you're not comfortable, at least you know what to do. Proclaim the gospel. We want evangelism to be a, we want evangelism. We want this being a gospel witness to become second nature, not a program. Jesus did not set up evangelism as some kind of program and some kind of, you know, machine that if you, if you put, if you do this, this, and this and push these buttons, then all this is going to happen. No. All through the book of Acts, it is nothing more than one on one. You have been given this task. Even if the church was not here and there were no programs and there were no ministries and you were just dropped off somewhere by yourself, 
you could fulfill this right here because you know the gospel. Being gospel witnesses involves learning the gospel and becoming familiar with it. And so if you, you say, well, I'm not in the class. I'd like to learn this. See Brother Trey, see me. We'll get you called out. We'll get you in. We want you to be comfortable with sharing the gospel with those that you know, those that you don't know, but just sharing it. But secondly, let me say this, that not only is being a gospel, it's individually, it's not only personal, it is a corporate witness as well. This is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of what's happening here. So I'm going to spend just a few seconds here. I could probably get caught up in this all day. But we are not only called to be witnesses individually, but, as, but corporately. Beloved, Jesus ascends into heaven. He gives them this mandate. And from this moment on, the disciples and the church are going to be gathering together to worship. And what day are they going to be gathering together in worship? It's not on the Sabbath day. It's not on Saturday. It's on what? Do you know what day it is? Say it with me. Sunday. All right, good. Why do we gather on Sunday? Worship the Lord because this is the day he rose from the grave. And the whole world may go on doing their thing. But we come together on this day to let the world know there is a God in heaven who sent his son to die for us. And so everywhere God's people are, they gather that they may sing the gospel story. They, they gather that they may do as Randy was doing earlier, reading the, the scriptures that proclaim the gospel. That they gather together that the word of God may be open and expounded forth. We are proclaiming the gospel through the, through the expositional preaching of the word. And so we here today are a witness to the world that there is a God in heaven who sent his son to die for us. And so don't you ever think that for us to quit gathering that it's not that big of a deal. It is part of a mandate. It's not just about the worship beloved. It is also about the mission that we have been given to proclaim that even if they tell us to stop meeting, even if they tell us to not come here, we will meet for their benefit, for their good, that they may hear and know that God reigns and God saves sinners. And so therefore, I would say to you, beloved, faithfully gather to join the corporate witness. You are witnessing to the nations this morning in your gathering. You got out of your bed and you came and you didn't just say, I'm just coming to worship. But I'm coming to proclaim that there is one in heaven. So faithfully gather Sunday after Sunday and faithfully participate in the witness by singing loud. Join in the singing. I know you can't sing. Some of you, right? It's what you think. I can't sing. Just sing. We were having family worship day, and I apologized to my kids and my wife, and I said, I'm sorry. I know it sounds bad. And they're like, we're used to it. It's okay. <laughs> just, just we, we know your heart. We know. So sing. Sing. And proclaim the gospel. Stand and read the scripture. Give your tithes and offering as an expression 
to the world that, that there's a God who gave you far more. And so that little offering that you give, take the Lord's Supper. Every time we do it, take the Lord's Supper by giving a testimony of what Christ is doing. Listen and respond to the word. You are joining in the corporate witness, beloved. And so maybe this morning you're thinking, I have forsaken both the personal mandate and I've even maybe have not been faithful to the corporate mandate. Then here, listen this morning, repent of your sin. Repent of that. Repent and ask for God's grace and his power, as we're going to look at in just a moment, to help you and to motivate you to be faithful in the mandate. This is something that you are to be doing as a church, you individually and you corporately. William Evans said it this way, the church whose members are not both interested in and putting forth the personal effort in behalf of a lost world has in truth forfeited its credentials and its right to exist. In seeking to save its own soul, it has really lost it. We must be about the ministry of gospel, the, the, the work of gospel witnessing. And notice, he doesn't say that you are, this is a work that you just do. This is who you are. You are this. This is what God created you to be. You didn't have a work. He created you. When the Spirit came into you, you were reformed. You were a new creation. You are a witness. So go be about the work of witnessing. But I would say, secondly, this morning, what are the effective elements? Or, or what, what elements make us an effective gospel witness? And so there are several things here I want to look at as we zoom in on, on verse 8 here. Four things that I want to show you this morning that would make us effective witnesses. We know that not every Christian is effective in this way. So, so what are some things that we can do here? So notice, first of all, he, we are to focus on the present. Notice there in verse 8, he says, but. All right, so, so, so just notice, just stop right there. He says, he gives a conjunction, but, which signifies a contrast or a change in direction. So, so what's the direction here? Where were they going, and how, and how did he refocus or change them? Well, if you go back up in verse 6, they say, uh, so, so when they came together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? We've been looking ahead to this. We're looking toward the future. Is this now it? So they're focusing on the future. When is the kingdom coming? That's a whole lot of talk these days. In the middle of a pandemic, it really doesn't matter if it's a pandemic. It doesn't matter what color the moon is or whatever. We're, people are going to start talking about when Jesus is going to come back and set up his kingdom and all that kind of stuff. That's what they were doing. We're no different. We're looking to the future. We want to know when it's going to come. And so he changes them. He says, he says, stop worrying about that. That's not your focus. But you will receive power now. You'll be my witnesses now. Too many Christians are like the disciples. We're staring off into the future. Or we're staring back into the past. But we're not worried about the present. We're looking to the future wondering if the local and foreign events are a sign of, of the coming kingdom and the end times. Or we're staring in the past and we're going, remember those good old days? Remember those, those good old days where we didn't have to do very much and people just came to church? We were bigger. We were younger. We had more people, more money. Man, we did mission trips and we did this. Ah, those, those were the good old days. No, beloved. Today is the day of salvation. Meaning that if you are a believer, a member of a church, today is the day to be a gospel witness. We don't look to the past and say, well, we did it then. It's time for the younger people to do it now. 
We don't look to the future and say, well, when the pandemic's over, we'll, we'll get back to it. Or, you know, when the election, you know, when so-and-so's there, oh, man, it'll be easier. No. If we want to be effective in, as a gospel witness, beloved, we must look at where we are now. Where has God put you, beloved? Where are you presently? Where is this church presently? We are in the town of Jonesboro. This is where God has placed you. This is where our church is. Right here, 500 South Cooper Avenue. We are right here in this town. And God has placed us right here presently. Why? That we are being witnesses to the world, to this place. We are to witness to all who are our neighbors here. White, black, every color in between. We are to witness and proclaim and to testify to them presently of Christ and what he has done. We are to proclaim to the rich and to the poor and to every social status in between. We are to proclaim to our families that we love, to our neighbors beside us, and the strangers that we only see when we're at Walmart. We are to proclaim and to testify to those who have drug and alcohol addictions and those whose sins are hidden. We are to proclaim to all in this area because this is where you are. This is your mission field. God in his sovereignty ordained that you would be born and that you would find yourself here right now in this moment, in this time, right here. What is your purpose in life? To witness. We are presently in the middle of a pandemic that has caused nothing but fear, has caused nothing but heartache, whether you look at it on both sides, whether it is the virus that has hurt and killed people, or whether it is the lockdowns, whatever you want to say, it has done nothing but cause panic and fear and despair in people. And so why are we here presently? It's not wait till after this stuff is over with. Why can we not wait till it's over with? Because the CDC came out this week. Between the ages of 25 and 44 years of age, they saw the largest increase in excessive death from any year previous. A stunning 26.5% jump. Why? Because they're literally committing suicide and drinking themselves to death overdosing themselves because they're in despair. And such as a time as this, God has a church. God has a witness who rises up and says to a world that is panicked, there is hope and there is salvation. It may not be physical, but it is spiritual, and that's what really matters. And so in this very moment, in this very time, more than ever we are to grow, we are to rise up and be witnesses of Christ. And show them the joy that comes to all who would repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. And the hope that awaits them that this world is not their home. It doesn't have to be their home. 
We are presently living in the most immoral time in our history where people literally are parading through the streets without shame, without guilt. Lost people acting very much lost and sinning greatly. And we cannot wait. Do you know the wickedness that is taking place in our world? The very thought of what our own politicians are telling us, that at the age of eight you can change your gender, really? You can't look to the future, beloved, and think it's going to get better, and then I'll tell people about Jesus. And you cannot look to the past and think, I remember those good old days. Where are the young people who are going to rise up? No. We stand and proclaim Christ now. We stand to proclaim Christ now that we may see the lost saved. As Charles Spurgeon said, if, he says, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unworn or unprayed for. Ask yourself, beloved, are you presently making the effort to be a gospel witness? Because you have been called for such a time as this to proclaim Christ to a lost and dying world. You say, Brother Brian, let me be a witness, but how? Notice, secondly, we are to rely on divine power. He he tells them, he said, this power to be a witness is not just yours. Notice this, he he not only passes the baton to the the church, but he also passes it to the the, the church disciples. He also passes it to the Spirit. Jesus has ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit now descends to earth into the hearts of men and women. And so all the work that we've done is done through him, done by the Spirit. It is by grace alone that we do this. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Did you hear what Jesus said? You will do greater works than Christ. There's going to be a greater work done through you, the disciple, you, the church member, you, the church. How? How? The power of the Spirit. Notice the word power is inherent ability, not physical ability or ability. It's a supernatural ability to accomplish a task, to carry out a function. And it comes, it's associated with the Spirit. And so the Spirit gives the person the supernatural capability of accomplishing a task. What task? The task of evangelism. What works are we Enabled to do that is greater than Christ. The spread of evangelism. He says it will go further in our day than in his. That by the work of the spirit we will take it to the remotest parts. The remote parts of the world. Places where people have never. That we don't even know that are there. Planes flying over. If you've never heard the story of. I can't remember the tribe, but just planes flying over, learning there's a group of people that no one's ever heard of, and taking the gospel in there, beloved. That is a great work. Beloved, you and I must not rely on the ability of men to do this work. We must rely on the work, the power and the ability of the Spirit, His grace to push us. We rely on Him. 
We follow his method. We trust in him and rely in the spirit. To, 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 we don't have to change the method. We don't have to change the message, by the way. We think, well, let me help you out, Spirit. We can do it this way, or we, or we can change the message this way, and then we'll get people in. You don't have to do all that. You just simply need to tell them the gospel and trust that the power of the Spirit will work in them and do a great work. Faith in God's power, beloved, is being faithful to the message and the method that we have been given It's trusting the Spirit that though the message may seem so simple and though they may not even like the message, we understand we can't save them. But the Spirit can. The power that we see here is is persevering in spite of failure, in spite of fear that Peter and him, who were locked up in a dungeon and told and beaten and told, do not share the gospel. Do not preach this Christ. And they say, hey, you do what you think is right. But as for us here, we're going to do what's right in God's eyes. And so when you share the gospel, you will receive rejection. But what pushes us, what keeps us meeting as a church, what keeps us telling people over and over about Christ, even though they don't want to hear it, and even though it hurts us when our brothers and our sisters and our mothers and our fathers tell us no, It is the Spirit in us, beloved, that empowers us. It is the same power that if you have trouble learning anything and memorizing anything, if you have trouble in public speaking, if you have trouble with one-on-one speaking, if you have trouble with, you know, you know, you know being a social person. Beloved, here's the beauty of this. We, we want to actually, we keep focusing on us. We're like Moses saying, but, but I, I can't, I got this speech impediment. I've got this problem. I got that problem. We forget That the most powerful being in all of all the universe and all created things resides in us. To empower us to learn the gospel, to share the gospel in spite of our fears, and to empower our church to continue gathering as a corporate witness to the world in spite of what may come against us. That power resides in you today, beloved. Thirdly, we are witnesses without borders. And I won't spend but just a moment here, but notice here that he tells them, he says, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then into the outer parts of the world, meaning the Roman world. Our witness does not end just in Jerusalem. It's not just here. We as a church, you as an individual, we are to have an influence and a witness throughout the entire world. And so where does it start? Does it mean that you are to get up and go on a mission? Maybe so. I don't know how that is for you maybe it is or maybe just maybe our church is to be a training ground for missionaries not just send money but maybe god has called us to begin to to train up and to send people out into churches in other parishes into churches in other states and churches in other countries Oh, beloved, wouldn't that be beautiful? Our mind, our our goal must be more than just Jonesboro, that we're looking to the furthest parts of the world, reaching as many as we can, being a light to as many as we can, sharing the gospel, being the salt of the earth. And so therefore, at BC, we must be witnesses without borders. We must prayerfully begin to ask God to cultivate within us a passion for missions and a heart and a heart to train up missionaries. 
a heart to train up pastors that we can send into Judea and to Samaria and wherever else. Have you looked at the prayer bulletin on Wednesday nights? Wednesday nights, you look at it and you see all those churches in our association without pastors. That's our Judea. That's our Judea. How amazing would it be that if men within our own church, we begin to, ra- begin to raise them, train them up to be what? To be gospel witnesses who go into their church and do what? Make gospel witnesses who do what? Go into other places to do what? Some of you are getting it with me. Gospel witnesses. This is what Christ is talking about. And then finally, we see here, willing to make sacrifices. I go back to the word again, witness. If we are going to be an effective gospel witness, you need to know that it will require of you a sacrifice. The Greek word is translated into martyr. It is used to describe those who testify to the very point of death. It is used to, it is used to describe those who, who have a truth And they go to tell the world the truth and the world rejects them and the world kills them, persecutes them. An example would be Stephen in Acts 22. uh, In Acts chapter 22, he he begins to proclaim Christ, begins to proclaim the Jews and them killing Christ. But it was all part of God's plan and how they could find salvation and hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. And they stoned him to death. He was a martyr. He was a martyr because why? Because he was a witness Even all all the apostles, except for John, are killed for being witnesses of Christ. John is exiled because of his witness. Loses everything, placed on an island. A gospel witness carries the burden of, uh, of being willing to sacrifice, no matter the cost, that Christ has proclaimed. FPC, never underestimate the power of sacrifice. Never underestimate the power of sacrifice. The gospel grows out of Jerusalem into all of the world through the seeds of sacrifice for men and women. Their blood that is spilt becomes the very fertile soil that the gospel begins to grow in all of these places. And it happens all the time. That when the world persecutes The gospel grows and people are saved. Even today, persecution breaks out in countries like China. We think we know persecution, but these are churches that are being raided, where the gospel is being ripped out of their hands. The Bibles are being ripped out of their hands. Why? Because they're growing. Why are they growing? Because at God's grace in their persecution, they are growing Sacrifice of men and women testifies to the veracity, to the truthfulness of the message that we speak. Because a lying man will not die for the lie. But we will gladly give our life for the truth. And so today in America, beloved, your gospel witness does not require the burden of physical death. But it does require of you a burden of sacrifice. It does require from you, it does demand that you count the cost. It does demand and require that you lose 
yourself. Because this is everything. The value of what we say, the value of our message, beloved, it is a treasure by which we sell all other things. And then we buy that land, Jesus said, that we may have that treasure. It is so valuable, we're willing to give it up. But we are also willing to give it up that we may let others know about it, that they can make sacrifice as well. And so therefore, beloved, we must sacrifice. You must sacrifice your pleasures. Those things that you love so much, that you love to do, and you love to hold on to, you must be willing to give them up for the work of being a witness. That convenience that you have, that you must give that up and sacrifice your convenience that you may, though it may be uncomfortable, that you may spend many hours being a witness. Money, time, hobbies, your fears, and even your life. This is what I find so interesting about covid that we are actually, for the very beginning of our, for the very first time in our own life, actually beginning to see what it means to put ourselves out there that we may be witnesses for Christ, no matter the cost. To worship and make much of Jesus. And why do we do this? Why do we make this sacrifice? Why are we willing to give it up all that the world may know Christ? Is it because we love the lost people so much? Do you love the lost people so much that you're willing to give up everything for them? Let's be honest this morning. Let's be truthful. We don't. We don't love the murderers, do we? We don't, we don't love those people who commit horrible crime. We don't love those people who persecute us, right? Let's just be honest. It's hard. So why do we do it? Why do we give up everything and sacrifice everything that we've got that they may know Christ Because we love Christ. Because we love God. John Piper said said it this way. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to have a love for the lost? He says, this is a term we use as part of Christian jargon. Many believers search their hearts in condemnation, looking for the arrival of some kind of feeling of benevolence that will propel them, that will motivate them into bold evangelism. He says it will never happen. It is impossible to love the lost. You can't feel deeply for an abstraction or a concept. You would find it impossible to love deeply an unfamiliar unfamiliar individual portrayed in a photograph, let alone a nation or a race or something as vague as all lost people. Do not wait for feeling or love in order to share Christ with a stranger. You already love the Heavenly Father. And you know that this stranger is created by Him, but separated from Him. And so take those first steps of evangelism, not because you love the stranger, but because you love God. Because you love God. And He has called you to be a witness. It is not primarily out of compassion for humanity that we share our faith or we pray for the lost. It is first of all a love for the Savior. It is first of all a love for Christ. That He saved me. And out of His love for me, my love overflows for Him. And an expression of that love is being a witness to all the world. 
A gospel witness makes sacrifices, beloved. He or she lays down his life, his time, his money, his conveniences, and anything else that the gospel may go forth through the world and Jesus would be worshipped and praised. Be a gospel witness. I call you, FBC. I call you this morning. Be a gospel witness. Routinely share the gospel with somebody. Make it a habit. Get it to the point that it is comfortable sharing the gospel with somebody. Faithfully join the corporate worship. Gather with the saints as we proclaim Christ and Christ alone. Focus on the present. We have a monumental task here. Rely on the power of the Spirit and prayerfully consider the missions that with the, the, the mission of going to the ends of the earth and make the sacrifice. All in the name of love for the one who gave his life for you and for me. Let's pray.